You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today we're bringing you an episode from Law and Disorder, where we dive into the world of true crime stories with memorable cases that have lasting effects for law enforcement. When we think of forensic science, we immediately think of dusting for fingerprints, testing a blood sample for DNA, or even calculating the trajectory of a bullet that was fired. But did you ever consider that things like pollen and plant spores could help crack a case? Well, this discipline is called forensic palynology, and it's the study of pollen grains and other spores to prove or disprove a connection in criminal cases. And while it sounds like an obscure discipline, and it kind of is, it can actually be quite helpful in closing some cases. The practice has been shown on television, in fiction programs like Bones and CSI, and even on documentary programs like Forensic Files. And it's helped close a number of cases around the world. But it's been officially in practice since the 1950s, and while it has proven itself to be very useful, there are very few professional forensic polynologists out there in the field. And on today's episode of Law and Disorder, we're going to give you a glimpse into the seemingly peculiar discipline of forensic science. And in a future episode, we're actually going to discuss a case that was solved in part because of this discipline, but we'll get to that later. So at its core, forensic palynology is the utilization of pollen and spores in solving legal issues, and it can be used for both criminal and civil cases. Pollen could be considered trace evidence, similar to the way that we would consider fiber evidence to be trace evidence. Forensic palynology can relate a suspect to a scene of a crime or a discovery scene, and it can prove or disprove alibis. It can narrow down a list of suspects, provide information as to the environment that an item came from, provide information about the geographic source of items, and it can even help determine the time of death of remains. So pollen can essentially tell us where a person or item has been, and its usefulness lies in its structure and composition. So bear with me as I take you back to high school biology for a moment, and my grandfather would be so proud of these next few paragraphs. So pollen is a powder that contains the male gamophytes of seed-producing plants. Pollen is produced and dispersed by plants for the sole purpose of reproduction. There are four different ways that pollen can be transferred from plant to plant to fertilize new seeds and create new little plant babies. So anemophilous plants release pollen into the wind, and they rely on weather systems to transport the pollen to the seed for fertilization. While all pollen can create seasonal allergies, this is the one that really contributes to those high pollen counts in the spring, and what turns my white car green in the middle of April. Hydrogamous plants transport pollen through water, just in case you are wondering how aquatic plants reproduce. And you're probably most familiar with zoogamous plants, which rely on pollinator insects and animals, usually birds or rodents, that disperse pollen between plants through either the way that their bodies are shaped or through their excretions. Finally, there are autogamous plants, which are self-pollinating plants, and the pollen that they produce does not need to travel to fertilize the plant's seeds and help the parent plant to reproduce. So because pollen is created for the sole purpose of reproduction, it is a very hardy substance. Individual grains of pollen are incredibly incorruptible in nature, meaning that it will maintain its structure even in the most extreme conditions in order to further the life of its species. 
Pollen grains are so durable that paleontologists have been able to even find ancient fossilized pollen. And much like gametes, which is the term for a reproductive cell in a mammal, pollen is a genetic material that is unique to the plant where it came from. It is also unique to each species of plant. But pollens can differ in shape, size, wall structure, and general appearance, and this unique morphology means that with the right equipment, expertise, and reference materials, it is possible to distinguish between and identify pollen grains. Palynologists are not yet able to distinguish exactly which plant any grain of pollen could have come from, but the fact that they are able to determine which particular species a grain of pollen came from is what makes pollen analysis so helpful for law enforcement. And pollen sticks to everything, so it can be collected from a vast number of sources, and it will remain on those sources for a long time. Pollen samples can be collected from clothing, from human or animal hair, nasal passages, vehicle tires, car air filters, and even mud that's caked onto objects, like the soles of people's shoes. Pollen's natural dispersion methods makes pollen very easy to pick up and take with you, without you even noticing. You can inadvertently have pollen transferred onto your person and never actually know that it's there. Forensic palynologists are applying the practice of pollen analysis in order to prove or disprove a connection between two places, objects, or people. Forensic palynology has been used in investigations for cases involving forgery, rape, homicide, drug dealing, arson, and robbery, just to name a few. But what kinds of connections can pollen prove or disprove? Well, there are an infinite number of scenarios, but the general idea is that if a suspect was present at a particular crime scene at which pollen can be found, they may have picked up pollen on their clothing or in their hair. Because of pollen's resiliency, it will often stick to that object long after it's been washed, sometimes after it's been washed multiple times. And if the pollen collected from the suspect matches the pollen collected from a crime scene, it could suggest that the suspect was present at the scene. However, it is key to remember that although the presence of pollen may establish a link between a person and a geographical area, it does not prove indefinitely that there is a link. But pollen can be used in other ways as well. It can help investigators to determine the location of a crime scene if it's unknown. Think of cases where it is suspected that a body may have been moved. The body may be carrying pollen grains that can be analyzed and traced back to a likely location, or pollen grains can help investigators to estimate the time of year when a crime took place, especially when investigating seemingly older crime scenes. Different plants release different types of pollen grains at different times during the year, which can help investigators to indicate the period of time in which a crime occurred. One of the most crucial uses of pollen is in the determination of the travel history of an item. In some cases, it's necessary for investigators to determine where an item originated from. Think of cases of drug trafficking. In order to properly charge and prosecute a case, you have to know where that substance came from. In scenarios like this, forensic palynologists would collect pollen samples from the suspect's clothing, personal items, and even the item in question, and then analyze them to see if it's possible to trace a distinct pollen grain back to a particular country or region. This practice may not be able to pinpoint an exact location, but it makes it possible to rule out certain geographical locations and point an investigation in the right direction at the very least. So how do we get from a crime scene to the lab and start identifying those pollen grains? Well, it's going to depend on the agency, on the particular crime scene, and on the needs of the case. 
For these purposes, imagine that we have an unidentified body that's found in a wooded area with lots of vegetation. In a perfect world, the CSI team is collecting evidence in the case, and they would have a forensic palynologist present who would collect samples of pollen from the scene. They will look for pollen on the body and other objects that are lying around the crime scene, but they're also going to collect what's known as control samples of pollen from the plants in the area where the crime scene's located. These control samples would give the forensic palynologist a definitive idea of the pollens that are present at the scene itself to see if the unknown samples from the body match the naturally occurring pollens where the body was found. Or, if they don't match, they can use reference materials to determine whether or not a body was moved. So even though scholars have collected, analyzed, and identified scores of pollen grains that palynologists can use as reference in these cases, it's a lot easier to tell whether or not a pollen grain on a body is a match, or if an unknown grain is from another area, if you have known samples from the vegetation in the area of a scene. Once pollen samples are collected, the forensic palynologist will often use transmitting light microscopy to identify the pollen. This is essentially when light is transmitted through a sample and magnified in order to see it through a lens. So sometimes scanning electron microscopy or ChemScan technology, which stands for Quantitative Evaluation of Minerals by Scanning Electron Microscopy, will be used. The ChemScan technology creates an automated analysis of materials and other substances that may make up the pollen grains at a microscopic level. The palynologist will examine the pollen grains under the microscope and identify it based on their own expertise and reference collections of pollen grains that have been identified and organized by things like region or species of plant. And the practice of forensic polynology has proved itself useful in a number of different investigations throughout the world, and it's been utilized, at least on record, since the 1950s. But in some circles, it is not as widely accepted as a reliable forensic technique, so it is often seen as nothing more than a last resort after more standard forensic techniques fail to create leads during an investigation. Because of this, there are very few people in the field who are properly trained to analyze palynological samples to the greatest extent. This means that due to lack of training, samples aren't always handled properly, which can create issues of sample preservation and even contamination. This is not to say that there are not forensic botanists who may not specialize specifically in palynology, but that doesn't mean they aren't capable of performing forensic palynology. It just means that the practice is not used as widely as it could be. Maybe, as we learn more about plant genetics, we will one day have a world where there's a forensic palynologist in every forensics lab, but that might just be wishful thinking. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode of Lawn Disorder, and I know I really enjoyed doing these crash courses in different areas of forensic science, especially these slightly obscure, lesser-known disciplines. If you haven't already, subscribe to Precinct 444 wherever you get your podcasts, and explore our catalog of episodes from our four shows, Lawn Disorder, Encore, icons, and lifeline. Finally, I'd like to thank Chris Mitchell for editing today's episode, and thank you all for listening. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 East Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. 
We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the precinct. Thank you.